Hi, I'm Sian Xiao, a healthcare researcher. And I'm Sammy Winemaker, a palliative care doctor. If you or someone you know is facing a serious illness, you've probably spent many hours in waiting rooms, scared and not sure what to expect. We can help. Together, we've heard from thousands of patients and families dealing with serious illness. Our goal is to share what we've learned so you can be more prepared and in control. This is the Waiting Room Revolution, and it starts right now. Okay, welcome back. It's Sien and Sammy again. This episode is about the key called Tag Your It. It's focused on the idea that the patient or the caregiver or your inner crew need to connect the dots in the system because it doesn't always work as a well-integrated, smooth ride. Sien, you and I both know that people think that the healthcare system is this well-oiled operation. But the truth is that it's not. And that's a surprise to many people. Certain parts are well-oiled for sure, but the entire system is not nicely connected together like a puzzle. Often the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing, to be honest with you. And this is really important because through someone's illness journey from beginning to end, they are going to receive care in multiple different care settings and often by many different care teams. And those care teams don't always have an opportunity to connect with each other. I think there's this assumption that in this day and age, there is this uber online, amazing, comprehensive chart that exists that is passed between teams and between care settings uh, in the background of the patient's story. And although there are elements of that, it really doesn't exist in a way that any of us would, would like it to in a comprehensive way. And often patients arrive at their next appointment or to see a new team or a new care setting and information is lagging behind them. So patients and families play a very important role in connecting the dots between care settings and uh, between care teams. Yeah, if you think about it, it's the patient and their inner crew, their family caregivers who have the most information. They have the most vital information about what's happening minute to minute often or day to day. And they are the ones who have who can make sure there's continuity in the care, in being clear of what's changed since the last time. And so the healthcare team comes in periodically, you know, every week or every month, but it's the patients and families who have the best information. And so you have to think that you have a critical role in the team and you need to take that role seriously so that you can pass that information on. I know we don't always want that role and it's a huge burden, but there are critical pieces of information that you that the patient and family have that somebody needs to pass on. That's a good point, CN, because when you think about it, if we only relied on the official chart that is held by pieces of the healthcare system, it would really only be a partial chart because a person only interfaces with the healthcare system for a very small portion of their entire journey. A lot of what is experienced is outside the healthcare system. And that's where the patient or family or this inner crew or assigned manager in your inner crew 
can develop your own personal healthcare record that can be shared with the formal healthcare teams and keep track of what's happening in the many hours outside of when you're with the official healthcare teams. So the very first message I think we need our listeners to know is Tagurit means the patient and family has to have a role and they have to connect the dots of the system because no one else is really going to take on that role. Even if the healthcare system says they have a navigator or a coordinator, it's just for that organization. And so a good analogy for that would be, say, a wedding. You know, you need to be the wedding planner and coordinate the florist and the minister and the catering and the band. You know, each of those different vendors groups might have their own way of coordinating themselves. There's a there's a lead person who you're connecting with who's managing all the florists and all where she's getting all her flowers. But you as the wedding planner has to bring them all together and make sure they understand your vision for the whole day. And when they come in, when they go out, how they're going to work together, they won't have all the information. You do as the family and as the patient. So you really have to connect the dots. And it's a big job, but it's so critically important because nobody knows what's best for you um, except you and the family. Some people have shared with us, you may remember, CN, that the idea of being your own manager uh, or having to coordinate all of these things and connect the dots, uh, like we've mentioned, uh, can feel very overwhelming when they're already facing a serious illness. Um, but the truth is, is the reason why we are uh, highlighting this issue is because what we're trying to do with these episodes is basically help you to understand what are helpful skills that you can employ from the very beginning of the illness journey. And when these things are done at the beginning and throughout the journey, it's much less overwhelming than once you're deep into an illness and suddenly realize, oh boy, who's on first? Who's on second? How do we keep track of all of this? I can't remember when they told me I'm doing this. Where's this CAT scan results? You know, that's much more difficult and overwhelming to assemble down the road. And, and so this is why we're mentioning it as one of the seven skills that we really want people to think about right from the beginning of the journey. And we, this kind of ties into an earlier episode about know your style. And we're talking about being someone who's going to connect the dots and be the advocate. And if this is not the kind of skill you as the patient or you as the main caregiver has, that's okay. Find someone in your inner team who is really organized, who can keep track of this stuff, who is very outspoken and can be an advocate. They will be a key member of your team and they need, you need to bring them in now. Not everyone has these skills. If you're the kind of person that likes to put your head in the sand and, you know, just take it one day at a time, no one's going to change you. But we need someone in your inner crew who's going to be that person. I think no matter what, even if you, even if there's a great hospital who has an electronic medical record and, you know, has all this information, there are still things that it will, it will not have that you uniquely have like some of your insurance information, your legal information, your desires and wishes, or the, you know, how the patient felt last night. A lot of those things, as we said earlier, are not going to be in this chart. So there's still a critical role. You have still critical information. You know, I was going to mention also that I can't tell you how helpful it is when I go into people's homes. And the minute I walk in, someone says to me, 
oh, no problem. Yeah, I have a list of my loved one's uh, medications here for you. Oh, and I also have this other Excel spreadsheet <laughs> that um, can tell you when we've been giving the medications and what doses. Um, and here's a list of all the main events that have happened in this illness with the dates and the year. He had a stroke in this year and it was this year when he had his MRI and these are his main, I mean, it is so helpful from a doctor's perspective to have someone part of the care, informal care team that offers you this kind of information. It also says a lot about, so when I am assessing the supports that a patient has wrapped around them, when I meet a family and I know there's a person that seems to be in charge of the situation, I can take a sigh of breath because I know that this is going to benefit this patient and family journey. The problem if people relinquish all of the managing and all of the coordinating to the formal health care system is that there's this major assumption that all the information is being assembled and updated and shared between people when it may not be. And so you may be very surprised when the next care team starts your visit by saying, so can you tell me what did that other care team say when you went to see them? Don't be surprised because this is the norm. And one of the things that patients and families have told us that is helpful is that they keep a diary or they keep a journal or they have the thick binder with all these tabs so that when they bring it from, they basically are creating their own patient chart because they know that each of the different players, the different provider teams don't always have the complete picture. So sometimes they take on uh, the onus and, and do that. And now there are probably apps and other technologies that can help with that. But the changing of symptoms from day to day or the changing of conditions, um, these are the bits of information that are critical to making sure your care is smooth and you don't have these big you know, crises happening. I would say if people can get used to right from the beginning, just keeping a log of the main events that happen in the illness journey, the main people involved, the medication list updated. I mean, you can decide for yourself based on what intel you get from your informal neighbors and friends who have dealt with the healthcare system. But, you know, these can be very brief notes or they can be very detailed notes. It depends what kind of person you are. But you will, whether you use the notes or not, you will feel more confident that you have all the information tucked away in one area to refer to. So there's multiple purposes for this personal record. One is, is because it might become very important to share amongst yourselves or with the healthcare team. But the other reason is, is because you will feel more grounded. You will appreciate the entire storyline if you have it written down somewhere and have easy access to it and anything you can do to organize yourself so that you're not rummaging for things in a crisis is helpful and builds confidence yeah i think the other thing is you know there are different there are different levels of how much detail this personal file needs to have and that's going to be up to you but i think there needs to be some version and some uh, attention to the idea of keeping track, the idea that tag your it, the system, maybe the system you're in may be more coordinated or have 
better navigation than others. But what we've seen is there really isn't one perfect system. There really isn't a one size fits all because the care in your journey is, is unique to you. So you, if you don't pay attention to this, you could fall through the cracks. And that's what we're trying to prevent. I think the other piece that you're trying to say also is it doesn't need to be, you know, paid thousands of pages in a giant six inch binder. Um, it can be just the key highlights in one or two pages, um, which, you know, and as critical events happen, you add to it, but it doesn't need to be, you know, every moment of every day to be effective. But the most important thing to remember is the information that you're keeping track of, that is the glue between the different parts, the different people, the different healthcare providers of the system. You are keeping it all together. You are the glue. The healthcare system has trouble coordinating care around points of transition. And what I mean by transition, another way of saying it is points of change. So some common points of transition include when people cross care settings, for example, when they're at home and then end up in the emergency room or admitted to a hospital or come out of the hospital, anytime you cross healthcare setting, that's a transition point or you change or add or are seen by different healthcare teams, that could be different transitions. Another transition could be in changes in medications or changes in resources or along the illness trajectory. So when you enter from an early to a middle to a late stage of the illness or your overall hardiness is changing. Anything that changes along the illness journey is considered a transition point. And it's during those transition points that we all tend to back away because they're a little bit chaotic. But the answer is to actually move into those transition points and be more mindful that it's around those periods of time that you need to make sure you connect the dots by bringing your information along with you, your own personal healthcare record, so that things aren't lost in transition. So the last take home to me is that if you accept that someone in the inner crew has to connect the dots to navigate the system, then it is so important for that person to learn as much as they can about the system. Every system is different. Even the person across the street might be different than the one, your side of the street because of where boundaries are written or your insurance or all kinds of things. So the system broadly and then how that relates to you through your, you know, how you access services and what you're eligible for, those are going to be different. But that's one of the most important things. Learn about the system, what local resources are available. And to your point, you know, asking people that have gone through this journey before, looking at support groups or uh, disease support groups that are uh, in your neighborhood or offered by your hospital or what have you, these will be good places to get information. So all those pamphlets that you get handed and put on the table, that's fine. But at some point, you maybe talking to someone is a bit is an easier way to really understand what you're eligible for. You know what? It's often other people who have faced the healthcare system as customers, let's just say, uh, that are more likely to give an honest opinion about how coordinated their journey was. I think the other thing that is a piece of that, a, a, another layer to this, it's not just the care that you're getting now. At some point, as your condition changes, um, or even as your needs change or your desires change, there are other things that you may be eligible for, 
but you just don't know that you can get them. And so that's the piece about learning about the system. It's not just about coordinating with whom you've already seen, but it is about how do I access, how do I get access to other resources or services or care that I'm eligible for or entitled to or need, but I just didn't know existed. And so this is where, well, word of mouth or peer support groups, talking to them and the rules around that is important. Find a way to learn how your system operates by connecting with informal people who have already walked the road before you. Asking casual questions like, did you guys find that the doctors talked to each other? Or did you find that when you went to different teams that no one had a record of what the other team did? Just try to find out the degree to which you need to connect the dots. So once you start learning about the system and you're learning about the rules, another key thing to remember is, well, there are always exceptions to every rule. And so you need to know when they are very strict or when they are just guidelines and suggestions and what's subject to interpretation. And so people who have a better journey often ask a lot of questions. They re-ask. They ask, well, at what point will I be eligible? At what point, what do I need to get access to this? What paperwork needs to be in place so that when they need it, they are ready. They are informed. It's not just about reading the rules and go, oh, I'm not eligible. I'm out. Because in the future, you may become eligible. And so understanding that and being clear on the gray area, but also, you know, the changes that might happen and so that they can get the care they need when they need it. I think a good tip or a good question that a patient or family might ask to a healthcare provider is, you know, I might not be ready for it now, but in a few months or other patients that you've seen like me who maybe if, if they, you know, things don't quite go their way, what resources are going to be really important for me to get so that I have, you know, good care? Sure. And if you won't know what you don't know, unless you sort of ask. Do you have any tips for people about thinking about um, accessing services that they don't currently need now, but may need in the future and finding out what those are and how to get them? People always tell us that they loathe telling their medical story over and over and over again. But the truth is, is that patients and families are a really important pipeline for sending communication between teams and between settings. I think of it almost like a messenger pigeon who is responsible for taking a note from one place to the next place to the next place. It's the same when it comes to families and patients about making sure that information isn't lost between transition points. Okay, I'd like to bring in a guest now, uh, Karen Cummings is someone that I met that I thought would be great to talk about this episode's key tagurit. She and her sister's life changed when their 98-year-old mother had to navigate the long-term care system, and the world turned upside down, and they ended up writing a book about their experience called The Indispensable Survival Guide to Ontario's Long-Term Care System. So welcome to the podcast, Karen. Thank you for inviting me into the conversation, Sian. This is wonderful. Can you briefly talk a little bit about you and your sister's experience caring for your mom? Absolutely. Uh, our mother, Verna, was living in assisted living in Ontario uh, in 2018. Uh, she'd lived in a wonderful facility for four years. She was enjoying it so much. And then one morning she woke up and she could no longer walk. 
And when you can no longer walk, you're no longer able to live in an assisted living facility. And that was the day that our education began because we had to learn exactly how to guide her into long-term care uh, without having had any previous education or instruction into how the system worked or uh, you know what had to be done. And uh, it was the education of a lifetime, I can tell you that. We kept expecting somebody to uh, guide us, to take us under their wing, to really give us the, uh, the advice that we needed. And uh, we were shocked to realize that that does not exist and that you better become your own advocate as quickly as possible because no one is there to help you. So at the end of the day, after our mother passed away in uh, February of 2019, uh, I wound up writing a feature article for the Hamilton Spectator that was all about her journey and the lessons that our family learned. And my sister, Pat, and I felt so strongly that we wanted to pass on these lessons to other families to make sure that no one would go through the stress and the frustration that our family did. And uh, we decided that uh, it should become a book. There is this assumption that you know, the system is going to be smooth, that there's going to be a guide, that it's been around for so long that, you know, it's going to be easy to navigate. But you kind of talked about how, you know, that wasn't the case. Like, how did you realize that? And, and what did you end up having to do? I can tell you this. My sister and I started every day feeling as if we were drowning. And our job was just to keep our heads above water. We would wonder, what insurmountable issue is going to crop up today? What government bureaucrat do we have to call and wait for a response from? What doctor or nurse do we have to chase in order to get information from our mother's chart? Uh, you know, what's going to happen that we don't know how to handle? And that's a terrible way to feel when you're involved in uh, something that uh, has to do with your, your parents, your mother or your father, and they're at the point where they're coming to the end of their lives. Such an emotional thing to go through and to layer on top of it this feeling of exasperation because you feel as if you're the one having to do all the work. In the book, we talk about uh, encouraging people to become their own Detective Columbo. If you're as old as I am, you might remember the old 1970s television show. And uh, what Columbo did so well was he asked great questions. And we really encourage people to start asking excellent questions and don't stop until you get the answers you need. Don't be intimidated by uh, the medical staff who are caring for your loved one. Just dig your heels in and uh, ask away until you get the answers that you really need. One of one of our points was the idea that, you know, you, you need to appoint somebody and keep track of your records and and be your own advocate, like you said. So I guess I'm wondering, what would you what would have happened if you and your sister weren't in that role? I shudder to think what would have happened because my mother was fortunate to have some wonderful friends in her assisted living facility. And uh, one or two of them had no advocate. They had no children. They had no family member that was there to make the phone calls, to ask the serious questions that needed to be asked. And I really, um, I'm, I, it makes me sad to think that some of these people just fall through the cracks because there's no one there to help them. There's no one there to take, take the, the charge and, and lead the uh, attack. Uh, it's, I, I find it very sad. And there are probably many more people out there who are slipping through the cracks than any of us really understand. 
if my sister and I hadn't been there for our mother, I honestly don't know what might have happened to her. She probably would have wound up in uh, a long-term care facility. Would it have been the best one for her? Who knows? How easy or hard was it to learn the rules of the system? Like, how did you learn to navigate it? I can tell you one of the best decisions that my sister and I made very early on was to buy a very simple spiral-bound notebook at the dollar store. We called it the Book of Verna. And we sat down every single day in our mother's suite in her assisted living facility while she was waiting to get into long-term care. And we wrote everything down. We wrote down the details of every conversation with every medical professional, doctors, nurses, occupational therapists, PSWs. We uh, wrote down the details of conversations with um, staff at the Lynn, with uh, you know Ontario government bureaucrats from the Ministry of Health and the Ministry of Long-Term Care. And we, we really believe very strongly that it, that book was our saving grace because it was so important for us to document everything that happened. You well know how unreliable our memories can be at best. We like to think that we can remember, but I can tell you that there were conversations I had that the very next day my sister would ask me, what did so-and-so have to say when you called them yesterday? And I could not remember the finer details of the conversation. And it shocked me that, you know, I'm, 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 I like to consider myself pretty, you know, a savvy individual. And for me to not be able to remember these important details, it really illustrated for me the, the incredible importance of writing things down. And that's what advocating is all about, being able to remember the fine details of everything that happens so that you can use those details in future conversations as you try to guide your loved one through the system and do the very best thing for them. You mentioned a spiral bound uh, book as being really a, a nice, cheap and cheerful way to keep coordinated. Were there other ways or practical ways you kept coordinated? Well, I can say this. I'm, my sister and I weren't the most technologically oriented people in the world. You know, we have cell phones and tablets and a computer, but uh, our instinct is not to record things on our phone. That being said, that spiral-bound notebook could easily have been uh, notes that we took on an app on our phone. It could have been video that we recorded every day. It could have been audio recordings that we did every day to keep a record and to document uh, everything that happened. You don't have to stick to one form or another, one method or another. Anything works. And, um, you know, uh, the, the important thing is just to make sure that you do document what happens so that you uh, have something that you can point to later on down the road when you've forgotten the chain of events that have brought you there and you need something to jog your memory. How would a family know how much they had to be in that role? I think it's the job of every family to realize from day one that they are in that role, that it is their job to project manage their loved one's care because no one else is going to do it for them. And that's, that's the thing I think people are so surprised when they realize they don't know what they don't know. It's not until they're often in the middle of the crisis 
that they realize that no one is coming to save them. No one is coming from the Lynn to hold their hand and sit with them and, and talk to them about the questions that they have. Uh, no one's coming to help. Y- you have got to be the person who says, I'm in charge. It's my role to manage my parents' care or my loved one's care, and no one else is coming to my rescue. It's up to me. Uh, I think that every family needs to look at it from that point of view uh, from from the very first day, because if they don't, they're just going to be waiting for something that's never going to happen. No one's going to come and take them under their wing. It doesn't exist. The system isn't built to offer that to people. And I'm like uh, anybody else. I was just so, so shocked. I, I expected this level of assistance. And uh, our, our experience was that it just isn't there. Were there mile markers along the way uh, that you can identify in reflection that were important moments to move deeper into this coordinator role? Yes. One of the lessons that we learned very early on is that all of the medical professionals seemed to be in their own silo. They were off in their own offices, off in their own worlds, and didn't. not only did they not communicate with us very effectively, they didn't seem to want to communicate with each other, which came as a huge surprise to us. We just could not believe that this is the way the system is set up. I remember being in my mother's uh, suite in her assisted living facility, and we were waiting for a long-term care bed, and her um, uh, care coordinator from the Lynn had come to see her for a meeting. And while she was there, the telephone rang. So I picked it up, and it was my mother's palliative care nurse who was calling us to tell us that she had faxed a document to the care coordinator at the Lynn. It was some kind of an important document. So I said to the care coordinator, uh, the palliative care nurse is on the phone here. She's just sent you uh, that document you were waiting for. Would you like to talk to her? And she turned to me and said, oh, no. And I, I was like, I, I didn't quite understand. And I said, are you sure you don't want to talk to her? And she said, oh, no. And I was stunned. I couldn't believe that here I am offering to connect you with the woman who's, who has just sent you important information concerning our mom, and you don't want to talk to her. I was floored. And I think that was a pivotal moment where I really understood that everyone is just, they seem to have their nose to the grindstone to get their own job done, but don't always realize that they could connect and reach out to the other care coordinator or the other healthcare professionals in charge of uh, uh, the, our loved one's uh, case and, and uh, you know, help them in a, in a more efficient way. That was a huge lesson for us. Absolutely. And from that moment on, we really understood that if we wanted to make this happen in the best possible way, it was up to us to make it happen. Karen, a lot of the examples that you're referring to are about transitioning from assisted living to long-term care. And so when your mother was finally in a long-term care home, was that the end of your coordinator role or was that just another chapter in this a longer journey? I was going to laugh. <laughs> I don't think I will. You hit the nail on the head. That was just the beginning of a brand new chapter in our care coordinator journey because there were... 
I won't say there were as many issues that we had to be on top of, but there were still issues. And most of them related directly to our mother's health. She was suffering from serious edema and she needed compression stockings, for example. And we went through a complete nightmare of a situation where we went out, the doctor gave us the prescription, we went out, we got the correct stockings, we brought them back, and they weren't being, they either weren't being put on by the PSW staff at all, or they were being put on incorrectly and they weren't doing the job properly. And we, I, I mean, I'm, I think my, my mind is, uh, has erased the memory of it because it was such a trauma for us to go through. Uh, but I, I remember it so clearly and we just thought, oh my goodness, it's not over. We, like, we're having to advocate all over again just for different things. I will give this example as well. We were witness to the chronic understaffing issue in long-term care. And, and our mother was so lucky to be in a wonderful place that was run by the region in Niagara, f- staffed with angelic people. We were so lucky. But in, in the evenings and even during the day, the call bells would ring and ring, not because no one cared, but because there weren't enough people to do the job. Some of our um, patients and families describe when they're going along a journey of a progressive illness and trying to sort out things, a feeling of helplessness. Did you feel that being in the role of coordinating was an antidote to feeling helplessness? Yes, I did. That's a great question. I feel that we did feel powerless for a number of weeks leading up to our mother actually being offered a bed. We felt helpless because no one seemed to want to advise us. You know, we didn't know where to turn or which way to look. We needed to make a decision, but we had absolutely no information upon which to base the decision. One of the key messages of our book is that families, whether they like it or not, they need to start becoming proactive and prepared. Up until now, uh, I I don't think it's surprising that uh, people feel just flummoxed by a system they don't understand because they've never really been educated as to how it works. I think now more than ever, being proactive and prepared has become more important than it ever was before. And I I find it curious that so many people are so willing to spend time planning a vacation or planning their wedding, planning um, their schedule on their next uh, camping trip next summer. They're they're so into doing this kind of planning and investing time into that, and yet they don't sit down to plan for what what I would suggest is one of the most important experiences you're ever going to go through with your mother, your father, another loved one, uh, trying to help them through the healthcare system. And I think the sooner people, uh, I'm going to say baby boomers in general, wake up to this and realize that there's no room for complaining once you're on the inside of the experience. You have got to take responsibility for the fact that our system, as good as it is in many respects, is not designed to be your, your parents' project manager it's up to you. And the sooner you come around to accepting that and you embrace it and you start doing your homework, 
You know, most people just haven't done their homework. My sister and I, we were the poster children for people who didn't know how to do anything right because we didn't do any homework at all. We never toured long-term care facilities. We had no idea how the LIN worked. We didn't even know what the letters L-H-I-N stood for. Uh, we found out later that in Ontario, it is known as the Local Health Integration Network, which translated uh, for other provinces just means home care. And we are the rule and not the exception. You know, most people are like we were. So I would say it's all about getting the message out to families that you've got to start doing your homework, whether or not you like it. Uh, it's one thing to put off writing a term paper in high school, but it's one other thing completely to put off planning for what could well be one of the most important experiences of your life. Karen, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Oh, it's my pleasure. And Sien and Sammy, if there's anything I can say just to wrap things up, it's this. Tag, you're it. Okay, Sammy, let's recap. What are the three take-homes from this episode, Tag, you're it? Well, the first take-home message is that the family needs to realize that they need to be the ones to connect the dots. Just assume that you're going to have to have that role. The next thing I would say is identify someone in your inner crew who's going to be that person, that manager, that informal care coordinator. If you go back to the episode about know your style, you'll remember that we mentioned you will find someone around you who is bent that way. And so exploit that personality style. That'll give that person actually more sense of control, a feeling of less helplessness, uh, and less anxiety. Um, people around you want to be helpful. So find that keener who wants to be your manager. Okay. And so what's the second take home? Figure out amongst you and your people, what type of traveling record you're going to use and to what detail and what mechanism you're going to use. And the last take home is learn about the system you're in, because the more you know about it, the easier it will be to navigate the system. So you can talk to others who have been there before, and you can also ask what resources were available and helpful that you might need in the future. So in summary, know you need to connect the dots, access some informal intel about how good or bad your healthcare system is, assign a manager, and create a record. Okay, join us next week for our final key called Invite Yourself, where we're going to expand on this idea about learning your system, and it really connects to all of the keys on the critical role of understanding the system, what resources you might need, but also your, your role in advocating for the care that you want. Our theme music is Maypole by Ketza. The podcast is edited and produced by me, Sien Xiao, and Kayla McMillan. Special thanks to Krista Honstra, Principal of Clarity Hub. For more information, visit us at WaitingRoomRevolution.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and help us get the word out.